0: Music <laughs> Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm a writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the
1: graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth Wars.
0: PJ, I went on a, um, I attempted to go on a shopping trip, uh, for this podcast. Oh, Okay. Um, I attempted to order my physical trade paperbacks of uh, World Without Grown Ups
1: oh.
0: and JLA Classified Ultramarines. Okay. And how did that go? Not well. <laughs> um, it turns out, um, and inquired, I inquired with my very helpful local comic shop, that both books are technically unavailable in the UK. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, one i think is even just considered to be out of print and uh supposedly just can't can't be gotten hold of now i don't understand the full publishing industry that could just be the uk but there we go that's where we're at so i had to go second hand
1: i uh I already owned World Without Grown-Ups. I bought that in the 90s when I was basically, as I said, I think I've said before, after Strength in Numbers and before Justice for All came out, I was buying anything that had JLA in the title to really just give me the hit, you know? (laughs) I needed it. (laughs) World Without Grown-Ups was one of the things that had been released. And I was buying Young Justice anyway, so I got that. I did have to go secondhand for my copy of Ultramarines. I did only buy that myself the other month. And, yeah, I got it. I think I got it off eBay in the end for... Not
0: too bad. I think I paid about eight, nine pounds for it. Yeah, I think I, 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 I've i had to eBay it as well, to be honest. Um, it is weird because I know, I, ironically enough, I have physically in in my lifetime, I have touched copies of, of both books. Oh, okay. Like, there was a copy of World Without Grown Ups in my school library, inexplicably, because <laughs> it must have been very new at the time. And um, I've touched a copy of the ultramarines graphic novel in um in ottica's back in the day (laughs) in my local bookshop
1: i'm i'm genuinely surprised that those two books aren't sort of available in newer editions at the moment because the whole dc have recently recollected haven't they the entire morrison run but in like souped up bigger books I think that reprint more of it in one go yeah it really surprises me they didn't take that opportunity to like include everything from JLA from the era because people would still buy it I think even if you stuck like World Without Grown Ups in with the rest of the Morrison run it's not by Morrison no but it still feels part of it it's that same team so even if you just stuck it in part as part of the trade or something and then or did its own little edition
0: it j- yeah I feel like it's something that should be in print it is odd, isn't it? Because I, I hadn't really thought about this sort of thing before. But like, what <sighs> preservation, isn't yeah. it? Like We talk about digital preservation and how like most of the content, popular content, pop culture content created in the last 20 years exists in a digital space, which, you know, is on a hard drive somewhere and might not be preserved. But of course, you get these... You know, I guess for the longest time I considered this stuff to be part of, like, a central canon of American superhero comics. You know, like, this was like um, the Library of Congress. Like, this stuff would be around forever. (laughs) Yeah. And in a weird way, we're already seeing that it isn't. Like, you know, obviously there are certain floppies, certain individual issues, which probably be nigh on impossible to find now. But, like, you'd think that a, a graphic novel, a... A trade paperback is is literally the first industry attempt to make sure this stuff does last forever. See, I feel like we've just we're on a a change point
1: at the moment, I think. I think we've spent the last 10 or so years where maybe the big companies haven't seen the need to have everything available in print because everyone's been on Comixology mm. and buying it digitally and everything. With comixology how it is now pretty much everyone i know has left the platform no one's really using it people have made a couple of attempts to read things on it and have just given up and i know dc and marvel are both pushing their unlimited apps but you don't you don't own it then that's literally just that's like netflix really isn't Mm -hmm. it for comics so i feel like we are now at a point where physical media is making a bit of a comeback i think Blu-rays and DVDs and 4K, whatever the one up from Blu-ray is, (laughs) those definitely are. You've got your companies who are putting out special editions of loads of older films with loads of extras, people like Arrow Video and Eureka Video. I buy a lot of those myself. Uh, I think with with music, vinyl these days is huge. Mm -hmm. I buy vinyl because I think it's great. And, yeah, so I think we might be at a point where trade paperbacks and graphic novels are going to start making a comeback and these things will maybe come back
0: into print it is odd isn't it because I I guess the weirdest part is like when if they are making that if they do make that change that kind of decision to start kind of getting stuff back into print um, I can't imagine that something like JLA classified ultramarines is going to be high up the priority list in a weird way, like I I consider it like a weird little gem. Yeah, and of course it, it's a Morrison work, so yeah, it's part of this canon. But like, it's probably obs- It's pretty damn obscure by. Because again, it's, it's only as I as I recall, and I'm looking forward to revisiting it. It's 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 very tangentially related to JLA.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's only a three issue story. I want to say, and it it opened up the classified series, but. It is more about the Ultramarines, isn't it? I haven't read it for ages either, um, and my memories on it are fuzzy at best, but I feel like it's something that people who are buying all of Morrison's JLA are going to want it, so there's you could maybe include it in one of the main volumes as, oh, here's a little extra thing that you'll enjoy, or, I don't know, do a volume of the random Morrison stuff. So the earlier stuff he did before sorry, the earlier stuff they did before they uh they started on JLA, like the the issues of was it um
0: Oh yes. The brave and uh, the bold, I think it was. Yeah, the, the stuff that um Chris uh, brought to our attention. Yeah, um,
1: those those issues and the ultramarines and you know sort of the random ephemera as it were. But yeah, I think that that if
0: they put it back into print there'd be people who bought it. The the weirdest part is I remember um, 10 or so years ago when I went to some of my first conventions. PJ, were you... I know we've talked about this before and I can't remember, but in 2011, were you at an event called the Comics Launchpad? No. No. This is a weird thing where I think at that point in our lives, we were like ships in the night. We probably had like a lot of... Mutual acquaintances, but I yeah. don't think we'd actually met. Um, but that was a uh, a weird event and kind of cool event in Birmingham, where it wasn't a comic con; it was like a kind of networking, workshop, kind of of tr- uh, learning opportunity sort of thing for comic creators, okay, uh, as- aspiring and wannabe creators. And um, I remember there was a chap called Daniel um, Goodbury. I want to say. And bear in mind, this is 2011. He gave a a very interesting talk about digital comics, which were starting to take the world by storm. And he he reckoned, and his his theory was that as digital comics became more prolific, as our media became more digital by nature, he, he reckoned that physical media, comics in particular, would go one of two ways. He reckoned they'd either become... Super, super cheap and disposable, mm. or they go the other way and become very luxury items. Uh, like, oh hey, I can't. I have this comic digitally, uh, so the only thing to draw me to actually buying it uh, a physical copy would be that it's, um, you know, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's the cover is is made of vellum or something like that, <laughs> and the, the the pages are velvet. Um, I guess what what's interesting, kind of, you know, what you were saying is is that we're almost kind of seeing, like, the third branch now, a decade later, where it doesn't really matter about the quality. We're just kind of desperate to get it into physical form so that it will survive, um, I don't know, some like a hard drive getting wiped or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the way I pick and choose the trades I buy has changed these days as well there, there was a time where it was like I wanted to get like everything for the characters I like but I'm not so interested in that anymore I think I just like to get certain runs on certain characters in physical form so like obviously I've got the Morrison JLA run but I'd love to have physical trades of Busek's Avengers, mm. Mark Wade's Flash, Mark Wade's Captain America, Mark Wade's Fantastic Four. A lot of Mark
0: Wade. <laughs> <laughs> um, aren't, there, aren't there some very good rumblings at the moment coming out of DC about the new Brave... Oh, Is it World's Finest? I'm the not new sure. series? Now, uh, um, oh gosh, this is the worst anecdote in the world because I can only remember half the details. <laughs> but the, the headline is Mark Waig's back at DC and he's writing a Superman Batman ongoing series. Oh. And I've heard I've seen the artwork, and I apologize to the art team because I I, I can't remember any of the names involved. The artwork is is gorgeous. The character designs are very classic. There's none of this weird panelling. Hmm. Uh and and it just looks like pure comics, for lack of a better word. <laughs> It's it's for world's for world's greatest team up going on adventures and it, it just looks colorful and wonderful and kind of I, I guess kind of like it's about Mark Wade touch really I mean that could be enough to get me buying a monthly DC book again mm. it, it's it's funny isn't it like yeah I know what you mean it's it's like we I don't know like. Did we go have we have we come through two decades of superheroes being a little ashamed to be superheroes?
1: Yes, I think we have. I think if you look at certainly well no, they both did it, didn't they? When Marvel Hickman's Avengers, uh, that sort of era. Um, suddenly, Captain America's costume had to look a lot like the film costume, and and mm. it wasn't very good for a comic book at all. And then the new Fifty Two, all the new redesigns they did in there, and um, just oh, well, yeah, which lasted all of five years. But I think now we are sort of. I think maybe Action Comics a thousand was what started that when they put Superman back in mm. the pants, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think there are comics, superhero comics, I think, to a degree are starting to realize we don't have to be the
0: movies anymore. It's, I mean, I mean, I don't mean this in the aggressive way it's going to come across, but I think a lot of blame can be laid at the door of the Ultimates line. I agree. Um, not that those stories are inherently bad. That's not that's not what I'm saying. Some of them are. We all read Ultimates 3. Oh, <laughs> abysmal. Yeah, that, that's that's horrendous. I'm amazed that <laughs> saw print. Um But in the way that like it's an interesting thought experiment to go, what if we took these classic characters, started from scratch, rewrote them in a, in a modern post-9-11 genetic engineering based world using modding science and we treat it like all superheroes are an extension of the military. Yeah. It's an interesting thought experiment. Uh it's been done uh and and it can it can yield some entertaining stories. At the same time, if we didn't like our existing heroes, maybe we should have just left them alone. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, You know, it's like, did we have to drag, I don't know, for example, Thor kicking and screaming into the modern world to hammer these characters into a shape they weren't? Like, did that have to be done? I don't know, to be honest, in hindsight.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think of the ultimate line... And obviously that, that is a line that ended up eating itself in the end, didn't it, really? Because mm. it was designed... The, Ultimate Spider-Man was the first one and is still my favourite of them. And I think my favourite thing Bendis mm. ever did. Mm. Uh, because I, I still think that is great. A great book, Ultimate Spider-Man. Some of my favourite Mark Bagley art as well. Superb stuff. But that was sort of a, let's redo Spider-Man without the baggage of the last, at the time, what was it, 35-odd years. hmm and it did. It felt fresh, it felt modern, but it still looked and felt like Spider-Man. You know, he was still in his red and blue onesie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was fine. And then Miller comes in and does Ultimate X-Men and Ultimates, which at the time I enjoyed, but I don't think hold up so no. well anymore, because yeah, he, he took them in a very different direction, tried to give them a more, and I'm using air quotes here, you can't see it because this is an audio medium, but realistic spin. And yeah, yeah, again, my favourite run on Ultimate X-Men was when Bendis wrote it, because he had fun with it. And six issues of it were basically an Ultimate Spider-Man story, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Um but yeah, I think then that's what because those Miller books sold so well, that's what Marvel thought the ultimate line had to be. And they just let Bendis get on with Spider-Man and that was fine. But everything else was very, even when it wasn't Miller writing it, it
0: was very Miller. Well, and also, I mean, you know, it's funny you mentioned, like, that's what Marvel thought the ultimate line had to be. Before very long, that seems to be what they thought their their mainstream comics had to be. Yeah. As well. Like, um, obviously, the Marvel Cinematic Universe owes a massive debt to um, the Ultimates. But I do find it interesting that even when they adapted, when they made The Avengers, for example, which, you know, has similarities to The Ultimates, shall we say, there's a big battle in New York. Um, They wisely did not go as grim, cynical, dare I say nasty, as The Ultimates did. Um, I I feel like the balance that the Marvel Cinematic
1: Universe has managed to strike is where they've taken visual cues from the Ultimates in terms of how some of the characters look to a degree. But I feel like the essence of the characters is pure Stan and Jack.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. I just, I I remember, you know, at the time, as I think a lot of us felt, you know, you see Brian Hitch drawing costumes, you know, and they look like they're actually sewn that they have like ridges and textures and you can tell the different fabrics. And of course, you know, we were blown away by this. Oh, Captain America is wearing a helmet. Um, but it, it's funny how you can draw a line from that to say the New 52 reimagining of the Flash. Yeah. Where his costume is just endless plates of metal or the Zack Snyder Flash. And you're just like, the hell is going on? What is this? We can't all be Iron Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think what people forget as well is Brian Hitch came to Ultimates off the back of his run on JLA with Mark Wade, where mm. he had drawn very classic-looking versions of the JLA, and they looked great.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. Oh, God, yeah, the timeline. Yeah. It, but that's weird in itself, isn't it? Because, of course, the 90s, bit of a low point, uh, I think we can agree, industries the industry was floundering then you get this kind of 1997 revival both for marvel and dc which of course is the entire crux of this podcast but it's so interesting that like off the back of this series grant morrison goes on to do new x-men which is yeah yeah which of course is is tied you know simultaneously and whatever i don't want I think it came after, but like, there's a strong overlap with the movies and the wearing of black leather, yeah, being a bit more edgy, and then, um, you know, Mark Miller, who you know did a did, had a bit of a hand in this series in a small way, you know, him and Brian Hitch coming off this series as well, leads to leads to the Ultimates. It's it's, it's so interesting. Like, were were those things a reaction to this series or just trying to? Go in a different direction, trying to just go ninety degrees for the sake of trying something new. I don't really know. I just because I remember it's Mark Wade takes over JLA after Morrison
1: leaves. Porter does a couple more issues with Wade, then he leaves, and then Hitch comes on board. But in between, you get that Heaven's Ladder one shot, which is the first Mark Wade Ryan Hitch JLA thing, mm. which I've got in the massive oversized version, <laughs> and it is beautiful. It is absolutely stunning to look at. And if I wanted to pick a Brian Hitch book to go and look at now, I would choose his JLA over his Ultimates any day of the week because it's bright, it's fun, it's colourful, it's amazing takes of these classic characters. He draws the hell out of Superman and Batman. His Flash is amazing. I love his The Atom. The Atom is brilliant, you know? And yeah, but then he did Ultimates. And I I think that it, his JLA is the more timeless.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's not even like, you know, PJ and I, two people who cannot draw. Uh, it's not even like we're we're saying that Brian Hitch's artwork on the Ultimates is is bad. Oh no, it's, you know? it's stunning work. But... Oh yeah, it's but it's, it's it's what is it, PJ? Is it about tone? Is it is it just? you know what was the series trying to achieve and, and is it what the industry needed mm-hmm. it's when i think of the ultimates there's no color it feels mm. very gray
1: with hints of pale orange for some reason but there's very little actual color it doesn't pop as a book and until volume three but you know again um, <laughs> and and it's very, it's so of its time. And it turns out the early 2000s weren't a great time. <laughs> well, <laughs> they no. weren't nearly as progressive as we like to think they were. Like my other podcast, The Measure of a Fan, inadvertent plug, but it's relevant. <laughs> we're looking at Enterprise at the moment, which was the Star Trek show that was out around the similar time. So early 2000s. I think we're looking at the series that was out 2002, 2003 at the moment. And there are some horrifically sexist, racist, homophobic, transphobic moments in it. And I I just don't... I feel like in the early 2000s, we hadn't come as far as we thought we had. And a lot of the media seems way more old-fashioned now than you would think
0: it should. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I guess... I guess everything... Everything about pop culture maybe looks a little ridiculous 10 years down the line. But we, I think maybe just because comics were, again, quote unquote, for children. Yeah. I think we felt particularly proud of ourselves when like the 2000s rolled around, when we were finally being serious, you know. And I think there's there's something about that kind of po-faced cynicism, which definitely hasn't aged massively well.
1: I think Garth Ennis has a lot to answer for, to be honest. And I'm a big Garth Ennis fan. I I love Preacher. Some of it, again, Preacher, some of it is a little bit questionable, but Preacher has that cynical edge. It has that darkness to it, but it also has heart to it. There's genuine emotion to some of these characters, and and they're well-rounded, and the aim of Preacher is, at the end of the day, to be a good story well told that's supposed to sort of have some uplifting elements to it. Ennis writes that sort of thing very well. Um, he did a brilliant run on Dan Dare when that was with, when Virgin tried to launch a comics company and then their first thing was Dan Dare and Ennis did a six issue miniseries. It was superb oh, really? stuff. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really good. You wouldn't have known it was Ennis except for, you know, it didn't have any of the the, the foul language or anything, <laughs> anything like that, but it, it had a lot of heart. Ennis, as a writer, could do that. Mm. He could mix that, that dark edge, that cynicism, with having heart. I feel like then a lot of writers read Ennis and said they got the wrong thing from it. Mm. I have, for a number of years now, and I still stand by it, referred to Mark Miller as a poor man's Garth Ennis mm. because I feel like he took the cynicism... And nothing else.
0: And then he made it mainstream. We well, see that's the thing, isn't it? Because I've read, um, I've read a bit of the boys, um, and um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You know, for what it is, obviously, obviously, it's incredibly and meant to be shocking. Mm. Uh, and I do kind of enjoy it. Um, I haven't gone and completed the series, and I haven't caught the TV show either. But of course, you know that is an example of let's have these humorous violent um crude characters killing fighting superheroes but they are um of course legally distinct but instantly recognizable versions of yeah. characters we know and love homelander is su- superman but yeah. i and i want to see the boys killing homelander i don't want to see them doing that to superman yeah there's a reason he's a legally distinct character because The Boys is a good is a good story and it's horrific and violent and Superman is a wonderful character who should stand for something a little greater and yeah the answer is if you want to do a story about killing Superman because he's an asshole make The Boys you don't just go oh let's reboot Superman but he's an asshole yeah surely keep yeah. the two separate
1: <laughs> I think
0: when Ennis
1: and he you yeah, know he's been very vocal in the past about not liking superheroes and superhero comics but when he has played in that pool, like you look at his Punisher run, which included appearances from Daredevil, Spider-Man and Wolverine. Mm. He treats Spider-Man and Wolverine like dirt, effectively. <laughs> it, and But it, do, it doesn't feel like he's insulting the characters, but he sort of makes his feelings on them clear. Daredevil, he treats with a little bit of respect, mm. I feel like. Daredevil doesn't... Yeah... Punisher has the upper hand, but Daredevil's not made out to be a fool in the same way the other two are. Interesting. You look at his Hitman JLA miniseries, which is ridiculous in and of itself, the entire league are made to look like idiots, except for Superman. And Ennis even has dialogue written in it that Tommy Monahan, Hitman himself, cannot stand the JLA, except for Superman. He has respect for Superman and he likes Superman because he's Superman. And I feel like that is Ennis, you know. He doesn't like these superheroes. He respects some of the characters for what they are. And that, again, I feel like is missing from when other people go, well, let's do it dark and edgy like what Ennis did.
0: Have you – I think we've talked about them them a bit before, but have you read any of um, the JLA or Elite – or JL Elite, whatever it was called.
1: I read it when it was coming out. Uh, I haven't revisited it since, and my mem- I don't remember it very well. That was like the undercover team, wasn't it, where yeah. Flash was on the team, and he had a black costume, and
0: Major Disaster was on there, I want to yes, say. Yes, who I do have a soft spot for. Yeah. Um, but did you read, because the, the Elite, as I understand it, were introduced in a, in a a in a one-off, oversized Superman issue, Called "What's So Old Fashioned About Truth, Justice in the American mm. Way"? Yeah, have you read that one? I think so. Again, it's been a while. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's kind of interesting because that that's like um, Joe. I think it's Joe Kelly writing and art by Doug Mank. Mm. And um, again, it's not it's not saying anything massively profound, but it's it's a story about Superman going up against uh, analogs of the authority. Mm. Uh, who were a very popular team at the time, uh, a group of superheroes who murdered without hesitation. And it is like a, an a, an interesting little exploration of Superman's principles and what Superman means as a character. Because I, I think they, they do some interesting stuff at the end about what would it actually mean and what would it look like if Superman just became what what the world apparently wanted him to become. Yeah. like if he just became like the authority and it's and it's shocking as 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 well it's intended to be um so yeah like i i think there there were clearly creators in that space who were responding to some of these changing trends i think and commenting on them
1: yeah agreed and that i think that's what's lasted as well it's this is what we want from these characters we want them to be true to themselves and there are some people like you know and these people have all done good work in the past. You know, they they have. And I'm not trying to take anything away. But people like Mark Miller, Zack Snyder, they don't get Superman. I'm sorry, no. they just fundamentally
0: don't understand the character. I've always felt it's because Superman is seems like an impossible ideal. Mm. And thus, rather than trying to elevate the audience or the world to meet him, we have to try and, like, bring him down Yeah. Because it's like, you know, well, look, no one can relate to him. He's too perfect. So let's make him horrible. Yeah. Let's make him as bad as we are because that's the only way we'll get him, I think. And I've never got on board with that. And the funny thing is, you could always say that like, oh, well, you guys just have a differing opinion. You know, you you guys just, you feel that comics should be one way and some people think that comics should be another way and clearly there's an audience for both. And maybe there is. Hmm. But I do find it kind of telling that when... DC finally moves past the kind of new 52 and its echoes. And the moment they bring back true blue Superman, the moment, like, for example, Mark Wade it's announced that he's doing a bright, colourful Batman Superman team up book, the world kind of goes crazy for it. Like, I think people kind of they kind of know what they want deep down. And and maybe we forget that sometimes because we think we have to be, like, grown up or cynical. But, like, when something genuinely kind of good and gold and pure comes along, people eat it up. So clearly yeah. there is a hunger for these characters being, as you say, PJ, true to themselves. Yeah. And
1: there was a time when even Mark Miller knew that. Like, if you look at... I haven't read it for a while, but my recollection is Superman Red Sun is actually a really good book because Superman still ends up being the true superman that we all know and love by the end of it there was another elseworld series around the same time superman the dark side which i can't remember who created it but it was posited that what if superman's pod landed on apocalypse instead of earth and that was a great book as well and again at the end he's still the true superman that's just who he is Mm. so yeah don't try and mold him into something he's not it
0: doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) That was a surprisingly uh, in-depth conversation, PJ. I don't. That's not like us at all. Well, we don't do that in depth. Us? No. These podcasts are twenty minutes long normally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, PJ, should we talk about some uh, some uh, some JLA of the moment? Let's do it. So uh, I will say, like, uh, what 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 happened previously on, on in the pages of JLA, but doesn't it's, matter. <laughs> it's kind of irrelevant because we're in a, a weird little period of a couple of standalone stories. So this one's an odd one in that,
1: so the, pre- the previous issue we looked at, which was the Mark Wade devin Grayson written No Man's Land issue, effectively, was a tie-in to the ongoing Batman story at the time. Mm. This issue here is still Mark Wade solo writing this time, is another weird one, though, because this this is two things. First, it's setting up Mark Wade's run on JLA. He clearly knew he was taking the book over at this point several months in advance, mm. <laughs> because it sets up, some storylines he will tell. And second, it's a tie-in to the ongoing storyline in Mark Wade's current Flash Run.
0: Right, yes, yes, of course, yeah. And the only reason I'm aware of these events is that I own the DC Encyclopedia, which came out in 2004, (laughs) I want to say, yeah, which filled me in on some of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, this... This issue of JLA is a very clever way of getting you to read Mark Waid's Flash, to be
0: fair. (laughs) Well, yeah, particularly when it's, and it's not a spoiler to say, uh, the stuff we see in this issue is never mentioned again Nope. in the pages of JLA. I have to assume it is resolved off-page and quite concisely in the pages of Flash.
1: Yes. Yeah, there are lingering things here where it's like, well, you're going to have to read The Flash, aren't you? And it made me go, oh, I really want to read The Flash now.
0: I think I'm going to have to track that down. You've talked about it enough, PJ. um, Mark Wade's run on the flash is one that I really want to get. And one that I feel like we should cover in the future. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. And of course there's, um, there's some Morrison, there's the Morrison Miller period on flash as well. Wasn't there?
1: Yeah. Which was in the middle of Mark Wade's run.
0: Yeah. No, again, also something worth, something worth tracking down. Um, but if you're if you're holding uh, the trade uh the like um PJ and I are, um there's very little fanfare because um you're you're right into the next story following on from the um Gotham City tie-in. Uh there's no there's no separating pages. Um you'd be forgiven for thinking it's just a continuation of the same story, actually.
1: Yeah, it's weird. They reprint the covers for these two stories on the same page, uh, after, at the end of the Crisis Times Five storyline. So you do get a, a Porter image of the league attacking Bruce Wayne, which is <laughs> quite fun.
0: Now, yeah. Um, and yeah, no, i I, sorry. I had a thought and it died. It died in my mouth. But i was just going to say, like, <laughs> I I enjoy this and I'm quite looking forward to diving into it. It's got a good energy. Yes. Same. Same. So speaking in the spirit of diving in, then, I guess we we open on, on the moon uh, with the uh, JLA Watchtower uh, where we're having um, a meeting of the JLA. And right off the bat, I enjoy this because I feel that with um, some of the uh, bombastic action we've experienced lately, we haven't actually seen a lot of like the minutiae of running mm. the league, like yeah. having little board meetings and stuff. So yeah, I enjoy this right off the bat.
1: Yeah, I love this. You've got you got a little setup shot of the watchtower where someone's counting the members. They say as nine of us, where's the Flash? And then it cuts to a big image of the JLA's conference table with five chairs on one side of it in which are sat Orion, Barda, Plastic Man, Steel and Green Lantern. Superman and Wonder Woman stood behind them. And then on the other side of the table, there's no more chairs. Just Batman stood on his own holding some files.
0: And of course, it's it's our old friend Mark Paderillo. Mm. Uh, who draws, I believe, a fantastic Batman. Agreed. Yep. He does that
1: lovely thing that some artists do with Batman's Cape where it sort of swirls around his feet and creates a pool of
0: darkness <laughs> around Batman's feet. Yeah, even in a well-lit room, <laughs> Batman just looks like, looks like a ghoul, basically. <laughs> um so yeah, so in in um in kind of classic uh Mark Wade fashion, we we suddenly realize that we are part of a, a bigger Breathing universe because we reference like um a lot of just recent ongoing events in the DC universe. So uh there's no sign of Flash. Um we are, he's apparently active in Keystone City, but he's been incommunicado for days. Uh John is away John is away in his own case. Um and um we, you know, of course, Gotham's in a bit of a mess because there's been plagues, there's been earthquakes. Um yeah, it's um it's not great really. Yeah,
1: and I love that when Batman says that Flash is apparently active but incommunicado, you get one of those last with an editor's box that says since the tragic events of Chain Lightning in the Pages of Flash, editor. And I'm like, "Yes, I must go read Chain Lightning."
0: <laughs> I yeah, I was always a sucker for that kind of thing in yeah. comics because even if I never went and read that original thing, I just loved the idea that these characters had a life outside of the pages of what i was currently holding. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. And i then- also
0: like sorry, sorry PJ, i was just going to say quickly, i i also like the the subtle implication that when you are a team of people who all have secret identities, it can just be really hard to keep track of each other. Yes. Like oh, i like yeah. the, i like the idea that they just haven't been able to reach for flash, but they know because he's the flash that he's around and he's doing stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, although in his, in the Flash's case, they all know he's Wally West. Everyone knows he's Wally West.
0: Oh, I suppose that's true, actually. Although I guess maybe, you know, Barda and Orion. Well, I know everybody bloody knows, don't they? Yeah, yeah. the Flash didn't have a secret identity at this point. Yeah, I keep forgetting that.
1: I mean, maybe Barda and Orion just don't care. But... <laughs> they probably don't care. They're like, who's, who's Wally West? What's an identity? I don't know but Batman says that they're going to need the Flash's power for this mission, and Barda says mission, and then I love this just tiny little bit of the panel. Plastic Man has turned into the Flash and is pretending to run in his chair as he
0: says, Zoom! <laughs> yeah, blinking, you miss it. It's just one of those lovely little um, Mark padrillo uh, details. Um, and uh, Batman, just being the life and soul of the party, basically says that, um, hey, look, you know, I've, I have reason to believe that um, all the... Tragedies that have befallen Gotham of late have been orchestrated by one man who's been uh, planning all this as part of his sinister scheme, and um, I basically want the JLA to uh, to bring this guy in. Maybe you've heard of him. And as we turn the page, we see Batman throwing a a, a Manila folder onto the table as he declares that um, the man responsible for Gotham's downfall is uh, Bruce Wayne.
1: Yeah, and he just throws these, there's loads of photos of Bruce, uh, magazine covers, notes and files, um, then we get the title, Altered Egos, a, a very basic roll call, no pictures or anything, just some names, Superman, Wonder Woman, Plastic Man, Orion, Barda, Steel, Green Lantern, and then Flash,
0: with a question mark. They haven't put Batman
1: in there, but we can clearly see Batman's there.
0: Well, I mean, PJ, I mean, he's not technically a member of the league, is he? He's he's there in a consulting role. <laughs> Apparently. Then,
1: then we get the credits. So Mark Wade, guest writer. Mark Padgirillo, guest penciler. Walden Wong, guest inker. Ken Lopez, letterer. John Callis, colorist. Heroic Age Separations. Tony Bedard, associate editor. And Dan Raspler, editor.
0: Yeah. And um, this is one of those things where you. It's clever because just because you may not know that everybody on the league knows who The Flash is. um you can, however, infer, based on everyone's dialogue here, and maybe a bit of dramatic irony about what we know, that not everybody present in this room is operating on the same level of information. Because uh, Kyle is instantly like, what, really? Like, Gotham's answer to Donald Trump? Well, there's a, there's a phrase which has aged well. Yep. Um, <laughs> and and Kyle was like, well, I, I believe you, Batman, but like, why would he do this? And as Batman starts talking, you just see Superman throwing Batman like the dirtiest look, and Wonder Woman as well.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And Batman says, "Look, I, you know, Wayne's motivations are puzzling, but I know his mind." <laughs> so Batman says, "Look, he's vacationing in the south of France at the moment. I can't abandon Gotham, so I'm going to delegate teams to subdue him," and. Kyle says really the entire league versus a millionaire playboy. Come on, that's that's overkill. And Orion's like, yeah, screw this, and starts he and Barda start wandering off and
0: Batman throws a batarang right in his face. Yeah, and uh I think we, we oh god, I, I can't remember it's terrible, I can't remember the artist's name when um when we had the previous Mark Waig story about uh, Adam Strange. Arnie Jorgensen. Arnie Jorgensen, there we go. And we talked about how um uh he drew Orion with mm. quite a different physique. I do like how Mark Padrillo draws Orion. Like he, he just he just looks different to Superman, who is of course the nearest, most muscular man. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not as big as Jorgensen's because he Jorgensen drew a, a big Orion
1: and it was great. This Orion he sort of exudes power, but he doesn't
0: he's not quite as, as bulky. He's yeah, he's a little bulkier, but like yeah. in a in a more kind of like <clears throat> tank like way, as opposed to Superman, who's just triangular. Um, but yeah, um, um, Batman squares off against Orion, just kind of doing a good old fashioned snarl, <laughs> uh, and basically says, "Well, look, you know, I have reason to believe that Wayne is a deceptively formidable foe. Chairman, do you have any objection to you know the way of what I'm doing here?" And Superman's like, "No." And uh, so Batman's like, yeah, okay, well, look, here's the mission. Deal with it. Uh, Orion, Barda, Lantern, Steel, Plastic Man, you're going after Wayne. And the rest of you are going after Flash. But first, and then um, he he, um, gives like a little list to uh, Superman and Wonder Woman and asks them to have a look at it and listen carefully.
1: I love how he refers to Superman in this sequence as chairman as if to say to Orion, You're on the league, you follow this guy's orders, and this guy is letting me pick this mission so sit down
0: yeah, yeah, it's um of course, and again, like you know we you know pj I, as a reader right now, I'm very confused, yeah, because I know a thing or two about Batman, and this doesn't square <laughs> with what he's telling everyone. <laughs> It's
1: one of those issues where I remember the first time I read it I was like, well, I need to know
0: what's happening here and it
1: just it, yeah, it was so intriguing. It's it's
0: it's a really good hook. It's a great hook. It, it, it honestly I think this uh, this is one of my favorite kind of Wade contributions to the series. This is such a fun little story. Mm. Um but yeah, so we know that something is 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 uh is kind of scheming here. Something's going on. Batman is essentially lying to the rest of the league, but Superman and Wonder Woman are in on it, but maybe they're not 100% happy about it based on some of their facial expressions.
1: It's that I feel like it's that thing where Batman hasn't discussed this with them in advance, and they kind of wish he had, because it means they're not getting the full story either. They obviously know more than the rest of the League, and they're just going along with it because they know Batman will have his reasons, but I feel like they both like to be in on the ground floor. And this is fairly typical Batman.
0: Yeah, um, and I think... um probably i imagine like Bat. it must be really annoying when batman does this to you but probably given that it's batman his logic is kind of like utterly infallible yeah so it's really frustrating but they're like oh for god's sake yes yes you're right we have to do this i'm not happy about it but Um, i feel like there's there's a grumpiness to superman in this whole story that
1: I, fi- I think Superman and Batman are really good friends, and sometimes there's no one who can quite get under your skin like a really good friend can.
0: <laughs> yes, no, no, so true, so true. Like, I th- I don't think Superman would allow himself to get pissed off if it weren't Batman's doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give himself that luxury. Um, But as we turn the page, we get a- an amazing picture of Wonder Woman and Flash... Uh, sorry, Wonder Woman and Superman flying through the air on their mission... Um, and and Wonder Woman is travelling in quite a unique fashion, but I just want to talk about how absolutely incredible Superman's flying pose is. Yeah. Like, good grief, Mark. (laughs) Good grief.
1: Padrello does some excellent cape work in this issue. So good, so good. And Wonder Woman's turned the invisible plane into a chariot being drawn by
0: two horses for no reason other than it's a cool flex. I love it. Yeah, because, um, of course, Wonder Woman can fly. But I guess if you've got a magical, transparent piece of thought-responsive flying technology, why why wouldn't you just take a break sometimes?
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah, but as they fly, they're, they're talking, and Wonder Woman says, the others have no idea what they're marching into. You've known Batman the longest. Could he be wrong? And Superman's like, probably not.
0: Yeah. Sadly, he's Batman. He's always right. <laughs> um, but yeah, but they're trying to track down the Flash. And um, they've arrived kind of uh, in the aftermath of uh, one of Flash's many battles with his rogues gallery. Uh, because um, they find Dr. Alchemy, uh, who's uh, unconscious on the floor. And um, Superman does some quick mental calculations. Tries to work out where uh, the Flash would be if he's traveling at his usual speed yada 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 does a does a few quick num- bit of number crunching in his head and then just flies down and and lands right in front of where the flash is going to be. I love that moment that he's talking about his average stride
1: speed and how long it would take him to subdue Dr. Alchemy and just does the maths and again some wonderful cape work from Pajirillo as Superman lands and the cape is sort of flying down behind
0: him still coming down from the sky as
1: Superman stands on the ground as a red streak runs towards
0: him I, I think we, we talked about it in the last uh, last episode, but um, there's something about the way Padrillo draws the characters, which um, in a weird way reminds me of Frank Quitely, because they just look so comfortable in their yep. costumes. Yeah. Like Superman is never posing, he's just standing, and that's how he stands. It's a very subtle difference.
1: Yeah. And speaking of costumes, we then get The Flash. This is not our Flash. As Superman says, you're not Wally West because this guy is wearing a completely different costume. So you've got the red onesie with like a silver lightning bolt coming down one shoulder, silver belt, silver wrist gauntlets, and the, the side bits of his mask are silver as well. And I really like this Flash costume.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's it's definitely cool.
1: I I think it's it's a shame this costume didn't see... More light, and I feel like it's something that the that DC could easily have put Wally in when he came back after
0: Barry was ah, already running around as the Flash. Well, it's it's like um, it's definitely of, you know, the standard. It's it's reminiscent of the standard Flash costume, but yeah, and again, this is a credit to you know the the, the inking and the coloring, but it, it definitely comes across as a much darker red, very heavy shadow.
1: Yeah, well I believe there are that this flash is often referred to as dark
0: flash. Oh interesting. Yeah. It's kinda of like how artists uh draw Daredevil. Yes. Yeah, where yeah. it's like very heavy on the ink with like uh with um red highlights. And also like a fun little quality which Padrillo draws, which um in many panels you seem to get the impression that um he's like um flickering. Like he's kind of standing still, even. He's moving so fast, but he's just kind of like blurring between a, a few different poses. Yes. Yeah, and
1: Superman says to him, look, while he's in his early 20s, you're a good 10 years older. And this Flash is like, yep, and runs off. So Superman gives chase and says, well, let's try this differently. What's d- What was Dr. Alchemy up to? And the Flash says, is. What is he up to? And it turns out Dr. Alchemy has turned the water under the Central City, Keystone City Bridge, into hydrochloric acid, and he hopes Superman brought help.
0: Yeah, um, again, it's um, this is the, um, you know, 100 miles an hour life of a superhero where, like, you can't even try and arrest a millionaire playboy without a random supervillain, completely unconnectedly, just turning a river into acid. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: But I I, I love the panel where Superman is running now with the Flash, just showing how fast Superman is. And again, some great cape work as it streaks out behind him. But also, this this Flash doesn't know Superman, theoretically, but Mm. it's Superman, so he's like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to tell you what's going on because I know you're Superman
0: and you're going to help. I mean, you would. He's Superman. That's what he's there for. Exactly. (laughs) And also, a small detail, but I do feel that this is Wade having a bit of fun as well because, you know, Superman didn't have to run. It says yeah. a lot about his character that he chose to run. He's yeah. putting himself at this Flash's level to <laughs> get inside his head work out what he's doing. But as we turn the page, uh, we cut to, well, we don't get a caption but one has to assume it's the south of France. I think
1: from the, uh, the drawing Pedro has done here that this could actually be Monaco. I, yeah. I feel like he's based that on Monaco.
0: Yeah, and particularly as they're going to a, uh, spoilers, casino... I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, But we hear, um, you know, I guess the B team kind of uh, talking. And uh, I guess they've been going through Batman's uh, evidence against Bruce Wayne. And uh, they're saying, you know, I I think this uh, kind of makes sense. Because, you know, apparently he, um, he had his buildings fortified against earthquakes. Like, that's very convenient, seeing as Gotham got hit by an earthquake.
1: Yeah, to be that is a story point in the Cataclysm crossover. I do remember them talking about the Wayne buildings—the only ones that sort of stayed standing because they were the—he was the only one who
0: listened to the scientists who said you could, should quake-proof your buildings. I guess it also just shows that you can you can make any anything sound bad in the right context. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um But we have this this um this fun situation where uh, Orion. Uh, oh, sorry. I should mention uh, the team is going incognito, so uh, we have Steel and Kyle wearing very smart tuxes, uh, and Kyle is apparently enjoying himself because he could never afford this normally. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Orion trying to squeeze into human clothing.
1: It is. I love. Just it's just slightly won't fit. His waistcoat is isn't quite lined up he's he's just almost popping out of this tux it's
0: it's really good work from pagirillo to draw orion in this it's, i love it um and then we get this weird moment where uh Barda turns up wearing uh, a kind of like stunning red cocktail dress and uh everyone kind of uh compliments on her saying like you know uh well, it's a nice almost dress before Actually, somehow- we,
1: we get onto the crux of this point though i would just like to say how again We've talked about how Pagiarillo draws women before. He very successfully here draws a very sexy barda without it
0: being gratuitous. Mm. It's mm. really good work. Yeah, um, I, again, this is going to sound weird in context, but I was going to say it's very tastefully done. The scene in which we discover that the dress she's actually wearing uh, is Plastic Man. Yeah, Plastic Man's just sexually harassing barda. no big deal yeah um so she she looks down kind of at the dress realizes that uh it's got plastic man's distinctive um belt symbol running down the side of a fabric and then she starts throttling him uh and yeah' it's, it's played for laughs and it is a little funny but also you just go oh yeah that's um yeah that's probably probably wouldn't have made that joke now probably that that, that was the 90s and yeah, this is, this is the one bit
1: of the, the issue that I read last night and was like, oh, yeah, that's aged really badly, hasn't it?
0: Well, it's funny also because, I mean, we gave the series a hard time for that earlier moment where Kyle was a bit leery. Yeah. And we were like, because that doesn't feel like Kyle. And then, yeah, we get this kind of moment and it's like, oh, yeah, that's just kind of, yeah, as you say, PJ, I can see how, like, in 1997, it's kind of funny. And then, you know, in present day, you go like, okay I can see what they were doing but also like that's really just would, inappropriate <laughs> just wouldn't have made that joke now no. like that's, yeah anyway so um Bader is throttling plastic man uh kind of right rightfully uh and uh, and then we get a, a quick uh costume change where barder is now wearing regular clothing and plastic man is there uh but obviously wearing a red tux because he has shape-shifted
1: Yes, and I still really like the body language of Orion, where he's clearly not comfortable in this tux. Bard has just got a lovely black dress on now, but Orion is still wearing the same tux and still struggling, moving his shoulders, it looks like, to try and just get himself in a, a, a more comfortable position. Kyle and, and Steele, John Henry Irons, they both just look great,
0: to be fair. Oh, Kyle's having a great time. Like Kyle, Kyle's loving this. Well, um, missed opportunity. They should have given him a green bow tie. Yes, th- I I thought that was weird. I thought that was <laughs> weird.
1: But I, or, or maybe PJ, it's a perfect disguise.
0: Because <laughs> Green Lantern wouldn't wear a red bow tie. That well, just can't be Green Lantern. Well, it's like when the Power Rangers would like hang out in their civilian clothes and they're all wearing colour coordinated clothing. Like that's yeah. just a bad disguise. I'm sorry. And then if one ranger changed colour in a following
1: series, their casual wardrobe would also suddenly change colour. <laughs> Oh, you
0: got it! Oh, you got it! Haven't you? Um, I get like there's that thing in there's that thing in comic art where um, I, I I've seen compilations of it where apparently it's really really hard to draw a baby. Mm. Like apparently, like a lot of artists who are very accomplished guys have trouble drawing human infants. They just kind of look like old men. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I bring that up because I think it is a credit to Pagliaro. Just how much he seems to understand human anatomy and body language. Because, yeah, it's a lovely panel. As you say, like, the work with Orion. Like, I think that would... To be able to convey such a character's emotion purely through the way they're carrying their body. I I, I can't think of many artists who'd be able to pull that off so effectively. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um. So, yeah, so plastic Man's just making a nuisance of himself. he's 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 just kind of smoking and uh, generally just being loud and and obnoxious. Um, and as Kyle has somehow ended up as the de facto team leader, uh, he's um basically saying like, okay, so let's get let's focus now. We have to go find a millionaire, discreetly arrest him, and continue to wonder why anyone would send Orion on an espionage espionage mission.
1: Yes, well. (laughs) And so, yeah, basically, Kyle's saying to Barda, you keep Orion out of trouble. Steel, can you keep Plastic Man out of trouble?
0: And Steel's not happy about this. Uh, Yeah, and um, so I guess they they just begin mingling, like any good kind of Bond movie through the casino. Uh, And we find Mr. Wayne. It's, uh, It's Bruce Wayne, PJ. He's here. Oh, hi, Bruce Wayne. We haven't seen you for a while. I know. Gosh, I hope Batman is able to catch him. Um, where Bruce Wayne is is playing... Um, it's Baccarat, isn't it? Is Baccarat... I... A fancy card game? <laughs> they mentioned yeah. Baccarat on the page. Let's go with that. We have to assume. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so Plastic Man, uh, going by the identity of El O'Brien, uh, is uh, playing against him. And um, you know, the kind of weird pervy stuff earlier, notwithstanding, I think this is actually an example of um Plastic Man not being a complete idiot. If yeah, you know what, if you know what I mean? Like um he's he's not really hero material, he's very crass and obnoxious and he loves CD bars and stuff, but like he's using that to his advantage. Like he is playing himself and it's quite an effective disguise, really.
1: Yeah, he's kind of in his element here, because he sits down and starts playing, makes some small talk with Bruce, and then Kyle in the background is like, yeah, sneak up on him, keep him distracted, great stuff. Plastic Man wins a hand, and Bruce says, well played, Mr. O'Brien, to which Plastic Man just says, oh, thanks, Wayne, I didn't tell you my name, and Bruce looks as surprised as Plastic Man does, and just says, no, no you didn't, and just runs away.
0: Yeah, just uh, scatters from the table, sending chips flying. Uh, Apparently causes enough of a a kind of splash in the crowd that um, Kyle and Barda... No, sorry, Kyle and Orion uh, aren't close enough to uh, grab him and he is able to kind of slip out an exit door. Yeah,
1: yeah. But he he ends up in a blind alley at a dead end and the League are cornering him
0: and then he just disappears. Yeah. Leaving uh, the league looking a little confused. Can I just say, I, I have a I have a real soft spot for when superheroes go into battle wearing their civilian clothing. Yes. Uh, and it's not some the X menus could do it all the time. Yeah, it's not something you get with the league very often. Uh, no.
1: Well, I think in this instance, Kyle and Steel certainly normally wouldn't. Go into battle in their civilian clothes, but they're backed up by three very superpowered
0: individuals here, and Bruce Wayne's just a dude. What's Bruce Wayne going to do? Yeah. And and I guess because the League are, you know, the absolute apex of superheroes, and, and, you know, they do have secret identities, but they're, you know, as we've said before, they're kind of like Gogs, you know. And so, you know, when you're fighting like some big cosmic threat, you very rarely need to worry about you know slipping into a a toilet to change or something like that so Yeah. yeah it's just a nice opportunity to see them in a slightly different environment and i i very much enjoy it yeah
1: same same and then we cut to members of the league in a pretty standard league environment as superman flash and wonder woman are trying to save people from the bridge that is collapsing
0: in the hydrochloric acid river yeah and i love how no explanation is needed we're just right into the action. And the League, again, are consummate professionals. And I have to imagine this isn't the first bridge they'd have to stop. They've had to stop collapsing. (laughs) Uh, So we have Superman just holding, like, two bridge cables together. It's a standard superhero thing, isn't it? Stopping a bridge from collapsing. Oh, God, yeah. And, of course, prioritise the civilians. Uh, Because we get this lovely, lovely... uh, It's one panel, but lovely artwork showing that while Superman is having a conversation with this mysterious flash we see three we see three copies of a flash each carrying different people to safety that's how quick he is yeah it's yeah so and, good and
1: superman says to him can we just use alchemy's philosopher's stone another philosopher's stone so to reverse the process <laughs> to reverse the process and flash says you activate it wrong the air turns to iron how much worse do you want to make this and then Wonder Woman says to Superman, "Are you sure he isn't Wally?" And Superman says, "I doubt it. He just outgraffed Aquaman."
0: Um, yeah, and um, you know, to Superman's horror, uh, the bridge is falling apart. He can't hold it. Uh, and um, this 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 Flash, who who I have to say appears particularly fast as flashes mm. go. Yeah. Uh, Nick's uh Wonder Woman's lasso of truth, and in a blink of an eye, kind of ties the bridge cables together with the cable, giving them enough time to uh, to escape.
1: Yep, and they fly the last of the civilians or run, in Flash's case, off the bridge and then Wonder Woman says, right, if we don't act quickly, the real mission will be over before it begins, and the Flash says, hey, what? And now presumably they've somehow turned the hydrochloric acid back to water or something, that's not really mentioned again but they all just...
0: To, yeah. I have to assume they solved that at some point.
1: Yeah, they're just standing there while Superman tells the Flash what their mission is. And basically while the others hunt for Wayne, it's up to the three of them to scour the globe at the speeds only they can reach.
0: Yeah, so this is one of those kind of like, uh, you know, like in a in a Saturday morning cartoon or kid show where a character will lean in and go, and here's what we have to do. Asso, asso, asso so we the viewer do not hear the plan but apparently uh as you said pj it requires three very fast people some might say the fastest members of the league
1: yeah and i feel like people forget that wonder woman
0: can go that fast but she can she's got that super speed yeah and um you know um you know uh, they they show this flash uh a bit of paper uh and uh You know, he ponders it and goes, well, you know, what you're telling me is incredible. Uh, This isn't a powder keg. It's an atomic bomb. And I do like the very subtle thing with his artwork and the speech bubbles, where every sentence is in a different speech bubble. Uh, I have to assume because he's kind of flickering and moving so fast. It's like, uh, essentially, you're seeing a different version of him talk every second. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's re- it's a nice little touch. And I don't know if they were doing that with this flash in the main flashbook. I haven't read those stories. I, re- I need to do
0: that. Why haven't I done that? <laughs> we'll get there, PJ. We'll get there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... Um, but, you know, whatever the plan is, we, the reader, don't know. Uh, it's time to act. And um, they just race off in opposite directions. And, you know, we see Superman flying presumably somewhere uh, over China... Uh, yep. We see um, Wonder Woman running through, I don't know, like a park somewhere. We see The Flash running past the pyramids. So they are just circling the globe right now. Yeah.
1: We yep. don't know why. But we cut from there to Bruce Wayne's hotel room where he's putting <laughs> piles of money in a briefcase. And then the League just break down his
0: door and they're all in costume now. Yeah, they're not fucking around here, PJ. Um <laughs> There's nothing, no worry about public relations here. They just destroy the door. Yes.
1: Yeah. And again, Kyle taking charge, which I, it's it's nice to see Kyle in this leadership role. And, yeah. and he's just, he just goes for it. He's He's been on the league longer than anyone else there, this version. And yeah, he just takes charge. So he's front and centre, ring glowing as he points at Wayne and says, you know, hold it right there. How do you escape? And Bruce says, well, I, I don't know. I just walked away.
0: Yeah, and... Yeah, like, this is very cool. Bruce Wayne is confused as well. Kyle makes uh, a kind of, like, lasso or, like, bolus out of his ring, fires it at Wayne, only for it to pass right through him as if he were a ghost. And then we get this intense close-up of Kyle's face as he says in very small letters, Wait... And you can see it's a penny has just dropped somewhere inside his head. Yeah. So, Barda
1: tries to tackle Wayne, saying, that your confusion thing is an act. We're not going to fall for it. And then we get another close-up of Kyle as he says, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's realised what's going on. But unfortunately, so has Bruce Wayne as he just says, I remember. And then Kyle starts shouting into his ring as he tries to reach Superman and Wonder Woman,
0: saying, shouting, we've been tricked. We need you. We're in big trouble. And we ha- and Bruce Wayne looks into a mirror. We see Superman flying past uh, an apartment window where a woman is looking into a mirror. We see uh, The Flash running through a department store where a man is being fitted for a suit and is looking into a mirror. And we see Wonder Woman run past a woman who's checking her makeup in a compact mirror. So mirrors, mirrors, mirrors all around the world and random people looking at their reflection. What could it mean, PJ? Well, we turn the page... And we get, the, this This
1: is an amazing image. This is, the was so good. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bruce Wayne stood in front of a mirror, and the reflection staring back at him is monstrous. And as Kyle shouts into the ring, he's a white Martian. And the, the, Bruce Wayne's reflection is indeed a white Martian. And then we see other figures around the world, a, a woman looking in a window, a man looking into some water, a, a hairdresser staring at a mirror, a a chef looking at his reflection in his, ni- in his knife, a taxi driver with the, the mirror in his car, and they are all seeing white Martians reflected back at them
0: yeah, and then the building explodes in like a massive burst of kind of purplish energy and um, again, I, I don't know how many ways I can say that Mark Padrillo is really good, but this is an incredible explosion Yes, uh, and again, like the characters, we see little silhouettes of our heroes, and they are very small in shot, but their poses—it's um, very, it's very evocative. It's, it's, it's really damn good.
1: Yes, it is, and they all land on the ground. Kyle's been able to create a, a big mattress, basically, to cushion their fall. Quick thinking from Kyle and Steel, and you know he's confused. He's like, wait, why, Martian? And so Kyle has to say, well, yeah, they're like Jean, but they're evil, and there's loads of them. We beat them in the first four issues of the series that you weren't around for. Uh, But Jean mind-wiped them and made them think they were ordinary humans. We
0: need Superman. Yeah, and and Kyle is, like, um, screaming into his ring for help, and we, we hear Superman's voice coming back through the ring, and he says, look, 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 we know, we know, Lantern. Whatever you do, don't let him wake the other Martians we're monitoring all the undercover sleeping Martians worldwide, the ones who just think they're regular humans. And the moment yours woke up, the others stirred. Like, if he sends out a full telepathic signal to wake them all up, we'll be right back at the start of this entire series and all the work (laughs) that PJ and John have put in will be meaningless because these (laughs) bloody white Martians will be invading the planet again. (laughs) And then the white Martian blasts Kyle with his Martian vision. He's a good-looking white Martian. I've missed him.
1: Yeah. It, I genuinely really enjoy seeing them again. Yeah. they were great villains for that first arc, and and it's a really cool way of bringing them back.
0: Yeah, and um, I guess, like, the refinement of the art style as well. I, I just, um you know, I like how Porter, you know, was the first to draw them and kind of designed their look. And... Um, I like how Pagirillo runs with it. I like the return of the weird little mouth in their stomachs. Mm. And I, I like their odd triangular heads. Their diamond-shaped heads, rather.
1: I, f- I feel like Pagirillo leans more into the horror aspect of it than Porter does with them. Mm. And, uh, but it really works. It's great. They've got these long, slathering tongues and they're drooling. There's a huge alien
0: influence here, for sure. And um, just because Kyle is kind of blasted by its Martian vision, not heat vision as some might think um <laughs> Orion is sent flying by the White Martian only for uh plastic man to uh form a giant uh baseball catching mitt and uh, catch him uh, and um the the league are aware that of course the, the the one weakness Martians have is fire so we need uh we need some fire basically
1: Yeah, and the Martian starts posturing, you know, it's all coming back to me, you jailed us in prisons of human flesh, etc, etc. And then Barda smashes it in the face with a car and then starts pouring the gasoline from the
0: car over Orion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, um, my life. Uh, (laughs) So Orion is just having a shower of gasoline um, and Plastic Man's like, uh, hey, um maybe you know being aliens and all you haven't worked this out but uh, gasoline is very fireable uh very very fireable crying out loud very <laughs> flammable you know um you're gonna set yourself on fire and then we get a wonderful close-up of orion's foot stamping down on a, a little flame patch in the in the rubble and just goes good <laughs> and then
1: a stunning panel of a flaming Orion leaping at the Martian screaming in rage and punching it with his flaming fist. It oh it's 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 such a good panel. Might well, might be one of my favorite panels of Orion from this whole it's, series.
0: I agree. It is it is so cool and it is so creative. Um this is superheroes having fun. Well, mm. I mean they're not having fun, but this is how to write superheroes in a fun way. You're having powers. a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um so Orion just starts wailing on this White Martian, uh, and um, you see Stee- uh, Steel going, well, uh, now we know why Batman sent Orion.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they needed someone with the strength level to go toe-to-toe with a White Martian, just in case.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I um, you could go mad trying to come up with a definitive objective power scale you know, of of heroes, you could say like, oh, well, a Kryptonian, is a Kryptonian stronger than a Daxamite? And is a Daxamite stronger than a new god? You could go mad trying to get exact numbers, but I do like, and this is the kind of thing that Wade would totally understand, going, okay, I'm going to think like Batman. Who do we have who who could stand on the same power level as a white Martian? Oh yeah, a new god. But
1: quite key isn't
0: Superman. Because yeah. at the end of the issue, we're gonna
1: find out why, as well as the super speeder uh, ash yes aspect, Superman couldn't
0: come and face this this threat. Mm. Mm, quite, quite. Uh, and um, so we see a wonderful picture of an uh still burning Orion, punching the white Martian, who's just getting the crap beaten out of it. Uh and Barda, you know, leaps in to, you know, tag team and tells him to put his fires out because um what is wrong with me? I can't speak today. Put your flames out <laughs> because you know you're tough, but even you can't do this forever. And uh, and she and uh, yeah, she whacks the white Martian.
1: Yeah, but then the Martians start to turn invisible just as Kyle tries to grab it with a pair of big green tongs, and Plastic Man tries to cover him with his body stretched
0: out like a big blanket. Uh, but yeah, uh, the blanket, uh, the tongs maybe didn't work, but um, Plastic Man turns into a snake and ties up the White Martian, only for the White Martian to instantly uh, kind of grab Plastic Man by um, by the neck. And I have to say, I always found this quite a genuinely funny line of dialogue where um, Plastic Man wraps up the White Martian and goes, freeze tag, and then the White Martian just starts throttling him, and he goes, no, no, stupid Martians. See, we call it freeze tag because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very plastic
1: man and the white martian just shouts silence and grabs him by the throat at which plastic man says oh good twice in one day by the neck yeah, well, yeah you deserved that first one plastic. yeah man.
0: yeah to be fair to be fair um so yeah so you have this thing where um the white martian is kind of throttling plastic man and holding him in a kind of hostage situation basically but also plastic man is slowly kind of like disentangling his body because he was kind of wrapped around the white Martians. So a little hard to describe, but if you can picture uh, his arms and his waist are behind the Martian's back where the Martian isn't looking.
1: And he's reaching into his own his own pocket.
0: Yeah. And um, so the rest of the league, like they're kind of backing off because the Martians like, uh, you know, you know, make a move and he melts, you know, like, you know, I I stop, I'm telepathic, I I know what you're thinking, don't make a move, and it appears to be a standoff, PJ.
1: Yeah, but then Plastic Man pulls a book of matches out of his pocket that he had bought earlier in the issue, lights one, which distracts the Martian, and then just says, made you look, and Kyle drops a truck on them. (laughs) No, it's
0: a limo, isn't it? That's a limo. Yeah, and how? I mean, like, (laughs) the energy in this panel, like... My God.
1: Yeah, and Plastic Man manages to leap to safety, and, yeah, the Martian has been incapacitated.
0: Oh, and we do get a little bit of explanation where the Martian says something to the effect of, you know, when I first awoke, I was confused, bewildered. I had documents, papers. I thought I was actually Wayne. So, yeah, we're getting, like, a little bit of um, context here.
1: Yeah, but now they've taken him out, and Kyle just says, whew, and then... uh, Superman, Wonder Woman and the Flash
0: arrive on the scene. Yeah, and uh, so a short time later, uh, uh, Superman and, and Flash are assembly, essentially making a cage out of twisted metal around the White Martian, who is mercifully skill unconscious. Yes,
1: yeah, and Wonder Woman then levels with the rest of the league, saying, look, Batman had those of us with super speed standing guard over the other Martians in case they stirred, and you weren't told Wayne was one of them in case he telepathically... Got into your minds and realized that because mm. you know you needed to be able to try and overpower him before he came back as a Martian, and then she says, yeah. "What brought him around?" And Steele says, "Probably Kyle's idea of subterfuge."
0: Yeah, and it, and it's it's an interesting one because again, the League have achieved victory, but it was entirely through not being honest with each other. Yeah. So you know, you're 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 left to kind of interpret that as you see fit like it clearly doesn't sit well with everyone
1: yes exactly well steel says if one martian awakened long enough to take a new form why not two? and how do we know that this new flash isn't also a white martian <laughs> batman has been listening so he radios into diana now and says yeah i've been monitoring uh tell steel one martian is all we need to account for but this new flash is a puzzle solve it
0: yeah thanks batman you know be nice <laughs> about it <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, um, the new Flash realizes that he's kind of, um, the elephant in the room, really, because we're all looking at him and we don't know who the hell he is. Uh, and, uh, he says, uh, well, you know, you're probably all wondering how I got here. Uh, and, um, but I need you to trust me if I'm going to be your teammate. And we have Kyle very quietly muttering to himself, were you invited? Yeah, because Kyle and Wally are best friends now. They're best buddies. This guy's they, not Wally, so screw him, as far as Kyle's concerned. They're best friends and they were always best friends and they've never they've never disagreed on anything. <laughs>
1: so the Flash takes Superman aside and as the league wait with Barda saying she doesn't like it and Wonder Woman saying you don't like anything. <laughs> um, the Flash says to Superman, look, I appreciate you not using your X-ray vision, but let me take my mask off but my identity needs to stay between us. And Superman apparently knows this face, as he says, you, but but how? And we don't see who it is. We just see the silhouette outline of the Flash's unmasked face, as he says, look, I can't tell you any any of that yet, but all I can do is ask you to trust me. So Superman does. He vouches for the new Flash and says he's League material.
0: Yeah, and I guess if you had to reveal your secret identity to one member of the League... It it would be Superman. Yeah, you can trust him to keep
1: your secret. You know that. And also yeah. he's the one whose word carries the most weight with the rest of the team.
0: Yeah, yeah, so so with Superman vouching for him, uh this new mysterious Flash is on the team. Uh and I guess everyone, you know, is happy to accept it, but Kyle's a bit like, uh, well, I mean, uh not that I miss him or anything, but where's Wally? To which uh Superman looks across at Flash and just goes Look, leave it for now. Basically, we'll we'll deal with that later. Uh, but uh, you know, there's a lot of questions that do need answering. So I'll meet you at the Watchtower, and Superman flies away.
1: Yeah, and we then have a conversation between Batman and Superman. Batman in the Batcave, and Superman
0: apparently stopping a
1: satellite from crashing to uh, to Earth at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, just uh, you know, just a a classic. Yeah, classic day of, day of work for Superman, really. Yeah, yeah, and Superman says,
1: look, you played that one dangerously close. Obviously, you knew Wayne was a fraud, but how did you know he was a Martian? And Batman explains that they placed one at Wayne Tech so they could have close eyes on it at all times. It was his personal secretary. But last week, there was a, a plane crash, and the Martian went down in it, and the body was never recovered. So Superman says, right, so the trauma basically fractured his mental block with the fire from the plane crash, and yeah, the Martian was confused and thought it was Bruce Wayne.
0: Yeah, and of course, being a, being an alien shapeshifter, just instantly kind of assumed Bruce Wayne's identity and um, took over for him, really, which, of course, is a bit of an awkward situation if you are the actual Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. Uh, and you can kind of see why a lot of delicacy was needed in handling this.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Batman then says, "Look, when John's back, we can put him back in deep cover and refortify everyone else's amnesia. But clearly, we need to re- rethink this as a long-term solution."
0: Yeah, and we get and again Wade, very good at dialogue, goes. Batman goes, "I'm uncomfortable with the notion of super-powered aliens walking among us. No offense." <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and Superman, Batman's basically like, look, you know, the ends justified the means, everything's fine, happy ending, you you know, I'm not going to do it, so Superman, just tell everyone in the league that um, Bruce Wayne is innocent and uh, was just caught up in, an, in, a, in a hoax, basically, so yeah, just do that and everything's fine.
1: Yeah, and then Superman raises the point, look, this wouldn't have had to happen if you abandoned the mask and trusted the teammates you fight alongside every day to which batman basically goes look if i had we'd all be dead we needed the element of surprise as it is i had to make sure the ones who do know who i am weren't around with the martian
0: hey you reveal your identity first starts and, calling him clark <laughs> and uh yeah and then we just get this lovely silent panel of the two of them just staring at each other on view screens yeah yeah having <laughs> the Superman kind just of says, this conversation isn't over yeah, and and again, just as you said earlier, PJ, like having the kind of disagreement that only two friends can have. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so this clearly is not uh, not over with yet. And um, but um, Batman gets a final word because he says, you know, look, I I disagree. This isn't an issue of trust. That the JLA has plenty of, and as we, as we get, see, yeah. Two lovely
1: panels of Kyle and Plastic Man showing the new flash around the watchtower. As
0: from the shadows, Orion and Barda watch. The end. The end indeed. And also the end of the trade paperback, PJ. Yeah, that. Oh, man, I'm going to be putting Justice
1: for All back on the shelf for the first time in weeks now and pulling World War III off it, and that feels weird. It
0: is very weird, very weird. The beginning of the end, PJ. Yeah, so PJ, what do you think of this issue? Sexual harassment aside, I love it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could I was going to say you could put that that's prefix in front of any any <laughs> sentence, but um, Yeah, sorry. Sexual harassment aside.
1: Yeah, I I think it's really good, though. I think it's a really well-told story that makes a lot of sense. Bringing back the White Martians in that way is very cool. Um, And as I say, it it sets up a lot of Wade's run. The White Martians and the arguments over secret identities form a lot of Mark Wade's run on JLA. Mm. And him sowing the seeds here, you know, when no one else knew he was taking over the book, I think is, is great. It's really good stuff
0: yeah it's funny isn't it because it, i i mean i guess i should just say it now i think this is my favorite single thing that wade has done in this run mm. um i know i know i've said it before i was a little colder on the adam strange stuff um but last issue i thought was fun and this one i think is is delightful as a kind of standalone story um it's very fun it's very uh playful at the same time as you said pj it's laying groundwork for future storylines while also having personal drama and tension. And also, it's referential. It looks back on the series that's gone before. It's quite a lot to pack into one issue. It's very impressive.
1: Yeah, it really is. And the new Flash, who's not going to be in the book again. But... (laughs) There is one other appearance of the League that I can think of, that, other than JLA Avengers, where he's on the cover and appears in that Issue 4 battle. Mm. There is um, one other appearance of the League that I, I remember that had this flash in it, which is around this time, an issue of Superman. Oh, yeah. Where the Superman books were doing a story where Superman, I think, went to fight Mongol. Mongol had turned up on Earth, and Superman has a fight with him. And forgets to when he's switching from Clark Kent to Superman, forgets to take his wedding ring off. Oh God! Wow. And okay. there's a photograph then of Superman wearing a wedding ring. So then there's oh, Superman's married. Whoa! And it's it's a really clever idea for a story actually, but it's the resolution is a bit silly because the they have a Justice League conference where all the league are there, including this Flash, and they say Superman is married. To the Justice League, we're trialling these new communication rings and they're all wearing these wedding rings over there, costumes. So, so if you see one of those on a league member, it's just that we're testing these
0: out. And if you don't see them again in the future, it means they haven't worked out. You see, the, the, the worrying implication there is actually that the entire league are in some kind of um, polygamous relationship. Yeah, yeah, but Dark Flash is the one sat at the table for that conference wearing a wedding ring over his glove. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's obviously like playing as you said, like playing around with like secret identities and who knows what and among the teammates uh is not something that the league does very often because mm. their concerns are generally a little higher than that. But um I it's fun seeing it in this issue, and it does also remind me of some of the stuff on um in the Busic Perez run on Avengers. Yes. Where Again, you take it for granted that the League are, are, uh, the Avengers or the League, uh, they're long-term colleagues. who have been doing this for a very long time. So Tony Stark, for example, generally assumed that all his colleagues know that he's Iron Man. But in the pages of Avengers, you have newer, younger heroes like Justice and uh, Firestorm who don't know that. And so, of course, whenever Iron Man is in a scene with them, he has to keep he has to keep his mask down and, and kind of maintain the illusion yeah. that he's his own bodyguard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I like in this book as well that we don't find out who the Flash is. And that is a hook to get you to go and read the Flash to find out who this Flash is. It's like, what? what? no, show me. Superman knows now, but
0: I don't. Come on. Now, PJ, um, again, I've only read the DC Encyclopedia. So I think I know who this Flash is. My
1: understanding of it, I haven't read the story itself, but the, what I've picked up here and there is that it's like a an alternate future version of Wally West.
0: Yes, basically, yeah. It's, it is Wally, but he's older.
1: Yeah, like 10 years and from a
0: darker timeline. Yeah, and isn't it something like, hadn't our Wally actually gone on an adventure into the future time stream or something?
1: Yeah, I think he, like gone to the future and sort of become one with the
0: speed force as flashes are what to do (laughs) (laughs) as yeah (laughs) until they run fast enough to like reverse time or something yeah um yeah so like uh they just got a replacement flash to kind of step in which i think around this time kind of kind of happened a couple of times did it not because you had also john fox the um the future flash who i think turned up in the pages of flash Yes, before traveling to the far, far future and joining the Justice Legion, a I believe. Yeah,
1: that that was a couple of years before this, and then a few years after this, after Infinite Crisis, Wally disappears again, and Bart Allen, Impulse, who get travels to the future, spends some years in the future and then comes back, takes up the mantle of the Flash for like a twelve issue The Flash series, which I really enjoyed, and then they kill him off, and
0: Wally comes back. <laughs> Oh, is Bart effectively dead now? No, Bart is young again and impulse again. Oh, because they're doing Young Justice again, aren't they?
1: Yeah, because DC going to DC. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, you got it, PJ. You got it. <laughs> now I've not read um, Tower of Tower of Babel or Tower of Babel, mm. uh, and I would like to because I think I think as we've said, like the Wade run on the league is something we'd like to cover yeah um but i have read terror incognito Mm. which was the uh the return of the white martians at wade and it's wade and brian hitch but also oh i can't remember the artist's name it wasn't Hitch for the rest of the series
1: uh i can't remember either i've got the trade downstairs i think but i can't remember
0: but I, I specifically, because obviously the Morrison ish uh, the Morrison books got me into this series, but then I kind of cherry picked some of the later books in the series. But I did track down Terra Incognito purely because it was the Return of the White Martians, and I wanted to see how that story panned out. Mm. And uh, yeah, and there's some wild stuff that happens in that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting to think that Wade may have been if not like 100% planning out stuff, at least kind of like laying a few seeds for stuff he could pick up later.
1: Wade's run on JLA feels very meticulously planned to me. Like, I know for a fact there's sometimes when he doesn't, like, (laughs) I've got a trade paperback of, like, the first six issues, I think it is, of Impulse. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because I loved the character of Impulse when Bart was Impulse in the 90s, and his... Like Issue 50, where he teams up with Batman, is one of my all-time favourite one-shot issues. It's Impulse fighting the Joker alongside Batman. It's brilliant. Um, But in those first six issues of Impulse, there's an introduction from Mark Wade where he talks about the cliffhanger to, I think it's issue two, where Bart drives a car off a cliff. Right. At the end of the issue, Bart drives this car off this cliff and just goes, Cool! And Wade says, I didn't know how I was going to resolve that when I wrote it, and then I just came up with something for issue three. (laughs) And... And I know for a fact there are times when Mark Wade just writes and sees where it takes him. But his JLA run feels incredibly meticulous to me. Like he had planned it out. He knew Mm. each beat what was going to happen. Because you have the Tower of Babel, which leads into then the status quo for the following storyline with the Queen of Fables and where the League are in there. And there's sort of this element of the League don't trust Batman anymore, but Batman's actually integral to the team. And then you get the... Uh, I can't remember what the the other one's called. You've you've got Terror Incognito and the other storyline, which deals with the White Martians and the secret identities, and and it all just ties together really nicely. And and yeah, I I think Wade had it all in mind already at this point.
0: I think um it is a gap in my collection I'd like to fill because I I've read um some of, of Wade's run on JLA, obviously, and um I think um I I enjoyed what I read, and everyone talks about Tower of of, of Babel. But um I, I think um because it had a slightly different style, you know, creative style to the Morrison stuff, and because I was so in love with the Morrison stuff, mm. it didn't um it didn't grab me quite as much. But I'm willing, I want to revisit it and kind of like reassess, and obviously fill in those gaps I never saw. But I, I always got the impression that it was very um it was very solid storytelling. Uh and I think By contrast, Morrison's stuff was often a lot more experimental in terms of of storytelling, and I really responded well to that. And I think, to some extent, it's why I really respond well to this issue because it's it's Wade telling a very structurally solid story. You know, everything ties together with a neat bow. But also, it's got these wild weird kind of fun moments in the middle, like Orion setting himself on fire. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think that's why I like this story so much. Like it's got a very solid foundation of a story that works, good personalities, but also just wacky shit in the middle of it.
1: I think this issue really does have a lot of what would typify Wade's run on the book when when he took it over full time. Wade's run at the time I seem to remember wasn't received that well and I think that's because of what you said there he was just following on from Morrison who had been received so well and everyone knew Mark Wade was a great writer but I think they just didn't want the Morrison run to end, they wanted yeah. more of the same and obviously Wade changes things, he pairs the team back down a little bit, he does He takes it in a somewhat different direction to what Morrison would have I at the time enjoyed it because I just wanted more JLA and I was just buying the Wade run because I was like, yes, more JLA. And I recognized that it was different, but I really enjoyed where he was going and what he was doing with it. I will be very interested to see what you think when we do get round to revisiting that run and, and looking at it as a piece,
0: um twenty years down the line. No, I I I'm very keen because 'cause I'm very keen to, because I'm, I'm aware it's 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 a it's a period of the series that i never gave a fair shake to because again i think following my love of the white martians i did um terra incognita and then i kind of jumped ahead i believe to um oh i can't even remember what it's called now but when joe kelly's run was going on joe mm-hmm. kelly and doug mank and we had um the burning the um yes another extension of the martian law and uh i think i jumped there and then i i ended up kind of liking that incarnation of the league which was very different and very weird. So I started filling in gaps in the Joe Kelly run, but I've always just missed out the Mark Wade run, which seems like a terrible disservice to um to him really.
1: Yeah, no I I think the Mark Wade run is definitely something we should look at. I I feel like we should look at the Wade run certainly before we get to JLA Avengers because it's very much Wade's team that mm. starts that story.
0: No, I agree cuz obviously um yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, um, Morrison brings in Plastic Man as this kind of left-field addition to the team. And then suddenly, for the longest period, like, you couldn't imagine the team not having Plastic Man on it.
1: That's it. That's it. After World War Three, I think Wade gets rid of all the extra members
0: except Plastic Man, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. For the longest time, it was like the Magnificent Eight. Yeah. One, one, one thought that does occur to me is... Um, uh. I think a a criticism of Morrison's run was that it was very uh spectacle based and there wasn't a lot of time for personal moments or character growth. Mm. Now, I mean, that's maybe debatable because we we've we've said many a time on the show that there are there are some moments of surprisingly deep uh character character emo- you know emotion and development and effective. Um but I have to say that like particularly as the action of the series has advanced and particularly because Morrison is has a sp- very particular story they want to tell there's always a lot being packed in and we we've had fewer of these quiet moments recently yeah. of just two characters talking because i i love and i'm so grateful to wade for finding the way a way to fit it in but i i love this little interplay between superman and batman yes and i think it's almost like a sister scene to way back in american dreams probably one of my favourite moments in the series, which is just um, Superman and Batman having a brief conversation on a rooftop.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also go back to in New World Order when they're paired up and they're just flying along, Batman in the plane and Superman just flying next to it and having
0: a conversation there as well. Oh, God, yeah. And then, of course, I guess like any... Maybe that's, you know, the thing about them just being work colleagues and, you know, it's like if you have a high-paced, a fast-paced job... You know, you you often don't have a lot of time to talk. Um, yeah. So yeah, like um, the league's life has been a mile a minute for the last year or so. Yep.
1: Oh, it's really good stuff.
0: It's also uh, yeah, and I'm I'm sad we're we're so
1: close to the end of the main run, and yeah, we're about to launch into World War Three. That's re- that's crazy. I you know a lot of podcasts don't last this long, John.
0: <laughs> no, it's wild. It's wild actually, and um, I. Yeah, I'm kind of amazed. We've, I mean, we set ourselves a task, PJ, and and by Jove, we've we've nearly done it. Um, <laughs> I've gone. Th- I think I've gone past feeling sad. I think I'm actually quite excited about what could come after this now. Yes, because there's so many gaps in my in my own knowledge that I want to fill in. Things I want to revisit. Things I've only seen briefly. You know, in the last twenty years, uh, I'm I'm quite intrigued. To see where we go after this, you know, and we've got the the um, you know, all the uh, miscellany to to track down as well, like the the odd cameos and uh, 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 the earlier stuff that Chris brought to our attention.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to to tackle all of that. Need to get those earlier issues, and oh, I may have to do comicsology for that. That's annoyed me now.
0: Well, we're lucky in that we've got we still got a bit of space because World War Three is a long story. Yes. Uh, so we're not. Was it seven, eight issues in that trade? Uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes, one of which is a standalone, unconnected story, but is fun as well. Yes, that's the day of judgment tie-in, isn't it? But I'm on a personal level, like incredibly excited because next issue slash episode is the very 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 first JLA comic that I ever read. Oh, of course, yes, because you started with World War 3, didn't you? I cannot begin to describe what an impact the next issue had on me. Like I'm so excited to revisit it because it remains in my head one of the coolest things I've ever I've ever read. Like I loved it.
1: I can't imagine that being your first issue of JLA, because because <laughs> I'd, I'd read all the other trades before I got World War Three, so I came to it quite late. I, so I was excited by it in a very different way. But yeah, that's that's got to be a unique experience. I mean, it's
0: a weird place to enter a series. I'm mm. not gonna lie, but like, I I fell in love with these characters. I I didn't know what a Green Lantern was. <laughs> uh, this was not the Batman and Superman of of the cartoons. Um. It was very, very, very different to any other comic I'd read. Yeah, and it intrigued me. So I'm hmm. very, very excited about what's coming
1: next. Me too. And some of the moments we've got coming up in World War Three, some of the appearances, some of the, the closure to a lot of the story that's been dangling since the beginning as well. And ah, oh, I'm very, very yeah. The the villains. It's. It's so good. Oh, it's exciting, PJ. It's exciting. I think I uh, think you you folks out
0: there in listener land, you are in for a fun eight issues. I'm genuinely excited. Like in many ways, like much like I imagine Morrison was work, when they were working on the series, it's like it has all been building to this moment. And just and for us, PJ, this is this is this is the culmination of our journey. Like this is the project we set out to complete, and we've nearly done it. There is a Superman image
1: from World War III that is burned into my brain. And, yeah I was very excited to reach that oh my
0: god anyhow PJ have we have we um, have we exhausted this Avenue of pleasure for um <laughs> uh, for uh, altered egos by Mark Wade et all and uh, the justice for all trade paperback we have we have bye bye justice for all I thoroughly enjoyed reading you again well with that in mind, I guess we should do uh, the regular thing and say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork.
1: And another huge thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our, our wonderful theme tune, Justice.
0: And uh, if I could very quickly do a shameless plug PJ Well I did uh, one early in the show so go for it. Well um, I, I'm trying to think ahead to when this, this, this episode will come out. I have suspicion that if you're listening to this right now, we are well into my Kickstarter, Kickstarter campaign for the After I Think 10th Anniversary Collection. We may even be in the final the final stretches of the campaign. So if you're hearing this and you'd like to check it out, uh, I'll whack a link in the description or something. But it is 10 years of my life in comic form as two massive hardback graphic novels. And it's been a long time in the works, so... Uh, I could be very, you never know, PJ. I could be very happy or very worried by at this point in the future. Well, yeah. Well, I guess we'll see
1: next episode. But yeah, I, I recommend backing it too. I'm going to tell you now, I've backed it. Probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 you...
0: <laughs> Don't make. <laughs> well, thank you, future PJ. That's very kind of you. Unless I go hideously bankrupt in the next few weeks. Yeah. It's... <laughs> I, 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 that's very kind of you PJ I am grateful for the action you have yet to perform in this moment but by the time they hear this you may well have carried through on so thank you that's I'm going to say strong probability yeah <laughs> you're very kind uh, PJ is there anything left to say is there anything you'd like to shout about?
1: Ah uh, no I've already mentioned my other podcast once I can't do it again it's good though thank you <laughs> I, I will say we are gearing up to release uh, the first episode of our third season on the Measure of a Fan. That's coming out uh, on Wednesday, the twenty-fifth of May. Ooh. third season. We also do already have a number of guests booked in, including one, John Locke. So, oh, he's
0: he's he's, he's an idiot. It's not. It's not. <laughs> you're making a bad choice, PJ. We're just having him on so we can rip the piss out of him. To be honest, it's. I will be. I will be very polite. I will be very quiet. I will I will sit and I will, I will speak when I'm spoken to. And uh, this is not, but this is it's PJ's show. I'm not there to intrude.
1: <laughs> but yeah, John will be joining us for an episode towards the end of the third season. But that means you've got plenty of time to catch up on the show. I am honoured.
0: We'll put we'll put a link to that in the description as well. Yeah. Um. Well, PJ. Uh. On that note, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um. Would you and could you do the honours in and see us off in your own unique fashion? I think John might be a white Martian. Rarr.
1: <laughs>